Morning. Doug's given me the opportunity to share the, today's message with you today. And so uh, we're going to jump right in pretty quick. I want you to open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. While you're doing that, I wanted to uh, first just welcome our guest. We are really glad that you are here. But also want to thank our volunteers. There are so many volunteers that uh, help us every week, over nearly 30 and sometimes over 30 volunteers that help us make this happen every week. Uh, those in the audio booth, video booth, uh, the greeters, uh, the nursery, the toddlers, the sheepdogs, our teachers, uh, the band, probably more and more, but there's over 30 volunteers, the volunteers. So I just want to thank you so much for continuing to, to serve in that way. And uh, So we want to thank you for that. So I'm really grateful to share the message with you today or for what uh, God's placed on my heart. But before we do, I'd like us to, to take a moment and bow our heads. Father, thank you so much for giving us such a, a personal view of God. Walking among us. God in flesh. Father, thank you that by your spirit, your, you wrote scripture. And through that scripture, you keep teaching. You keep revealing yourself to us. And I praise you for how you do that personally in real time. Father, thank you that You know each and every one that's here today. You have a purpose for each and every one of us in our lives. And you have a purpose for what you have to speak to us today. So, Father, thank you. Would you, would you cover me with your spirit today? So that out of full dependence on you, I can share your word. And Lord, we just ask that you uh, that you be with us today in Jesus' name, Amen. So again, if you'll open your Bibles to Philippians chapter four, verses ten through fourteen, uh, the very heart of the message, the the title of the message is within the t- the text itself. The scripture in verse ten it would say this: uh, Well, the Apostle Paul is he's in prison at this time, and so. He's writing to the, 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 the followers in Philippi. And so we're going to jump right here in verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. So guys, they had sent him financial aid. Okay, that's what's going on. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I, not that I am speaking of being in need, For I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all these things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And I'll explain this later, but I want to take a look 
at the NIV version of verse 12. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. So again, the title of the message the, uh, from the text itself, The Secret of Being Content. Now, as Paul writes this letter uh, to the believers in Philippi, he's in prison. And he'll be in prison in Rome, uh, house arrest prison, for two years. And when you, when you think house arrest, you might think luxury. No. Uh, in, this, in the first century, Paul is responsible under house arrest to pay rent for the home that he is in. And so he's renting this house. He also has to pay for his own food while he's here. So how do you pay rent if you can't get out to, to get income, right? How, how, how can you go to the store and buy food if you don't have a job to go get money to buy that food? So this is the reason that he is so grateful for the Philippians for sending him money. So now under house arrest, uh, we might think a nice leisurely day, you know, like he's wearing an ankle bracelet, right? A brace, uh, uh, you know what I'm talking about. So ankle bracelet. Well, not in the first century. In the first century, your ankle bracelet would be a, a chain that's tied to uh, you know, a, a rotation of big, burly Roman soldiers. And so, you know, all day long, you'd have somebody that's either ignorant to, arrogant against, or benign to, you know, all that you're trying to say it. And so here's the deal. You know, Paul in that environment, all of that that's going on says, I'm good. I'm content. You know, contentment, it's a fickle thing. In one moment, we can be content, and in the very next, not so much. And so when you look at all the various beliefs that are out there, the different worldviews, the world beliefs globally, all the different sacred texts that are out there, they're actually written towards the direction that the followers you know, had some kind of belief system that they could experience contentment while here on earth. Even in socialism, socialism's aim is to provide contentment for everyone that is under that order. So every one of us globally have been striving for contentment. It's a part of our desire. It's a part of our nature. So determine whether or not we're experiencing contentment or not. You might just stop for a moment And think about how you drive your car or how you raise your kids. Do you always have that, you know, that always content with how you drive your car or how you raise your kids? We'll we'll talk about that in a minute. But knowing that we struggle and that the struggle is global with contentment, we first need to look at this in the following ways. We'll look at Paul's text and we'll try to understand How do you describe contentment? We're not going to be able to define it. It's just more something you can describe than define. So once you've described it, then secondly, where do you find it? If everybody's looking for it, where's the source? So if right now you were hungry for a good steak, you'd probably go online, 
You know, you'd look at all the different reviews, you'd find all the good reviews, and you'd probably, you know, pick the one that has the consistent reviews for it, right? And you say, okay, I want to go there. Well, if you're going to be looking for contentment, where do you find the source? So third, then we'll take a look at our own personal struggles with contentment. We need to talk about, you know, that as well. And so we'll take a look at why this is a global struggle. And, and it is a global struggle. It's not just for followers as well. It's, I mean, you know, those that are not, it's also for followers. So, you know, with this, we'll need to talk about, which is the title, the last thing we'll talk about is the, the title of the message itself, The Secret of Being Content. So let's get started. When you're looking at describing contentment, we need to take a look at, talk about what contentment is not, as well as what it is. The reason why I'm saying that, the word here for contentment by the Apostle Paul, the Greek word to describe it, was not exclusive to the first century and not exclusive to Apostle Paul. In fact, the word was used by Stoic philosophers long before Paul. Aristotle, years before, said that contentment was nature's treasure. So you can see that humanity has been wanting to experience contentment long before Paul is writing about it here. And they're trying to picture contentment as well. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about what it is not. Contentment is not being emotionless in all circumstances. Okay? And let me tell you why. Oftentimes when you and I picture contentment, you might, you might, you know, look at, uh, like Mr. Spock on Star Trek. Right? Any Trekkies in here? Any Trekkies? No? There's a few. Okay. Well, listen, I, I, I grew up on Star Trek. I was, went to the movies with Star Trek. But here's the thing about Mr. Spock. He's a science officer. He's a Vulcan. Uh, he, he's, but he's really dumbed down his emotions. And, and he suppressed his personal emotions. And so he could save the, the Starship Enterprise and he'd just, you know, be emotionless. Or, 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 or he, you know, his home planet could be destroyed and he'd just say, live long and prosper, right? So, you know, and we think maybe that that's the picture of being content. Now, as followers of Christ, we believe that Christianity is, is a way in which we can experience contentment that we have been created to have. So let's look at Christ and ask yourself, was he emotionless in his ministry? And the answer is, is no. Among the self-righteous, he was angry. His words were direct and harsh when he went to the temple. He was the one that was angry and cast out the money changers. So he had anger. He was also brokenhearted. He anguished over Jerusalem when he walked there and looked at her. He wept over his friend Lazarus at the tomb, even though he was going to raise him from the dead. So he knew what it was like to express brokenness and even trauma. On the night before his crucifixion, he's agonizing in prayer before the Father saying, I don't, I know what is coming. I don't want this. And so the Lord, 
saying, Lord, would you change this? So if you're picturing contentment as always being joyful and happy and calm, then you probably have a wrong description of contentment. And what we'll be doing is we're going to be looking at contentment uh, in a way to use it as a lens to judge how we're responding to the way life is. For example, we've been looking at Philippians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul also wrote a letter to the Galatian believers as well. So let's take a look at that. Galatians chapter 5. Let's look at verse 22 and 23. The Apostle Paul will talk about to the Galatians about something called the fruit of the Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit of God which was evident in the life of Christ. And So we talk about... Uh, Christ being God in flesh. We also talk about the Holy Spirit being the Spirit of Christ. But with the fruit of the sprite, uh, Spirit, Christ is saying, let me just give you an idea of what is within me that gives foundation to how we respond to life experiences. And, and so with that, we can, we can have the contentment that we were created to, to have. So you'll find this in Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 22. He says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now some of you may have heard about this if you've been a part of a church for a while. Um, For me, I have two, but... It was during this study that I saw things in a different way. Uh, the very first three descriptors, uh, love, joy, and peace, are truly emotions. But if you look at the ones that reflect after that, they actually, they are the reactions that are fruitful, that are seen, that are displayed from those three emotions. And if you understand those three emotions, of love, joy, and peace, then you understand that those are emotions purely of Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave us Christ. Christ displayed his love for us that while we were sinners, Christ died. Christ is the one who loved us first, that we would know this, so love comes from Christ. Christ also said on the week before his crucifixion, I have come so that your joy might be complete because the joy comes from me. He also says, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. So these become the core attributes of the emotions of Christ. So picture this just for a moment. I don't have a graphic, but I want you to use your imagination. The the trunk of a tree is Christ. You have three extending branches. His love, his joy, his peace. And so from the love of Christ, from the joy of Christ, and the peace of Christ given to us only as followers of Christ, then in circumstances of life we can respond to those with patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Against these things, there is no law. So the beauty of describing contentment is that it comes from our foundation of Christ in us. Now, confessing to you. 
A few days ago, uh, a few days before Christmas, this, you know, I, I received a phone call. It was not a, a great phone call to get. I, you know, it was, I got a call that basically what occurred is that said to me that my father was not my biological father. So I'm 51 years old, and I look at this and I find out that this is the case. A few years before, about actually about 10 years before, I had taken a, a ancestry DNA test. And at that time, I kind of just blew it off. I, I, I dismissed it as faulty or a gimmick because there wasn't a single person on my DNA that matched with. I didn't, I mean, I matched with a Thousands, but I didn't recognize a single one of them. But guys, after several, uh, after this several years and after this phone call, uh, and just a little bit of more research, it became clear with absolute certainty that he was not my biological father. And it indicated who was. And so I confess that that was a pretty major blow to me just a few days before Christmas, and to be dealing with that. I was brokenhearted. And, and, and here's the thing. But in this instance, I was able to remain in Christ because I know he is control. He's in control. And when, and when we have Christ in us, we have the privilege of being able to tap into that trunk of Christ the branches of Christ, and express the full fruit of Christ. However, I am fallen by nature. I have a human nature that is sinful, that is by taste and by appetite, and I will oftentimes default to my own tree, Lance's tree, Lance's branches. And Lance can know what, what, what love is, and Lance can know what joy is, and Lance can know what peace is, but it not be from Christ. And so when circumstances come, I can emote, I can react out of my nature instead of Christ's. So I wanna, I want you to be thinking about this. How are you relating? How are you emoting in life? And by that, we can set it up as the lens. For example, let's talk about my wife's driving. Okay. Maybe, okay, so maybe let's talk about my driving. Better choice there. When you're driving, do you always feel content as you're driving? This wonderful state of contentment. You know, uh, I don't mind telling you that there are times that I feel very frustrated with people that are going slow. And or uh, stopping down here at this new roundabout down here for no reason. Right. Uh, but there are also times when I feel extremely frustrated for someone that's driving dangerously. And I can't say that I'm always responding to them. I mean, only God can hear me, but then I'm responding out of Christ in me. So we know, though, we have a lens. 
And I, I know that I can experience these emotions of contentment and it be godly. I can have emotions of anger and it be godly. I can have emotions of brokenheartedness and that are godly. Or even trauma or anxiety that can be godly. But sometimes I can take it to an ungodly place because I'm not doing it through Christ. So now let's take a look at the source of contentment. We've described it already in some respect, but let's go back to verse 12 of the NIV. Paul says this, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this who gives me strength. If you notice when I read this earlier, the ESV didn't say in verse 12, verse 12, the secret of being content. It's because the secret of being content, that verbiage was not in the original text. Now, this doesn't mean that this is heresy. Uh, this that you're seeing, the translators have seen what is in the original text and simply have expressed that this is what Paul is saying. So you might wonder, like, where does this come from? It's because in the original text, Paul is saying, I, I have had little, but in my little, I have seen abundance. And, and in my abundance, I have yet seen I, that I have, I have, and in my little, I have seen abundance. Uh, And in my abundance, I have recognized that I have little because I have actually have much in Christ. So whether I have little or whether I have much, the beauty is that the the source of my contentment is that I am focusing on Christ. So let's take a look at Paul's journey just for a moment, because all of us can see both sides of this, right? Some of you may say right now, so then how can I find contentment? Because I'm struggling with little. Or maybe you're saying, I, I experience contentment. Because, how can I experience it? Because right now I'm feeling stressed over the much that I'm having to manage. So let's talk about this for a moment. Paul talks about his little. And a great place to see this is when he writes it to the Corinthians. Uh, in Second Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 27. Here's where he lists his hard season of little. And let me tell you, it's a, it's a long season. Because in this season, he's been beaten 39 times on five different occasions. Not one. He's been beaten with rods with five, five different occasions. He's been shipwrecked on three different occasions. He has been stoned. And no, this is not with marijuana. He has been stoned with individuals who are raising stones and throwing them at him that they literally believe that he is dead. So he also said that he knows what it's like to be hungry and cold. How much more can you express to say that I know what it's like to be ostracized, you know, to persecute it and have nothing. And yet in that moment, feel content in Christ. It's because in that moment, moment, Paul acknowledges that the source of his contentment is not in the circumstances. My source is what I have received. It is who I am in Christ. My sufficiency is in him, regardless of the circumstances. So why is that special? 
Well, I think, first of all, we should go through adoption just for a moment because Paul talks about this in Romans. The beauty of being adopted by God, when you're adopted by God and under that adoption, he has given you a new name. And with that new name, he has given you a new identity. And with that identity, he has, he's also made you the joint heir of all the riches. So everything he has, you are an heir to receive. So regardless of what little you have, you can just reflect on who you are and all you have because of Christ. And realize he is not going to leave me. He is not going to misrepresent himself to me. He's not going to abandon me and suddenly say that you're no longer mine. He's not going to, to give my inheritance away. He's not going to take his love and acceptance away, regardless of what I do or what circumstances that I am in. Therefore, I am rich in Christ. But also, what about when you have a lot? Well, Paul talks about that as well, uh, that he has been content with much. So where do we find that? Well, you'll find that as much in the previous chapter. If you go to chapter 3, you'll have Paul talking about his riches prior to Christ. He talks about his him coming from a, a healthy family. His family was, was from the tribe of Benjamin. He was very well respected. He talks about coming from a political family. He, he's a Hebrew of Hebrews. And so he could continue to speak Hebrew instead of Greek. And he's just really well respected. He's a Pharisee, so he means he has the, the 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 means of growing up in this way. He's considered to be one of the most promising minds in Jewish life, taught by Gamaliel. So that as a young man, he's on this trajectory of great promise. And he looks at all of this, and in chapter 3, he says, Knowing this, I know today it is nothing but trash because compared to Christ. He says, I would throw it all away compared to all the riches that I have received because of the goodness of Christ. So when you and I have much, you also have a lot to, to worry about over the much. I mean, and guys, I mean this sincerely. I, I mean this lovingly. I really do. I do speak some from ex, some experience here. When you have the ability to build something, when you have the ability to manage a lot, when you have the capability to oversee a lot, you also have all the stresses that comes with with that to manage it all. And, and when it becomes personal to you and the threat of it all going away, now you have all the worry and all the stress of what's going to happen if it's all taken from you. So Paul says this, and the beauty is this, he says this, I see everything that I have is being given to me by God. And now it's nothing but trash. It's his to keep or it's his to throw away. But the thing I always have is who I am in Christ. Do you see the focus here of content being on Christ? He is our source. So why do we have to go to him as our source? It's because we constantly struggle with contentment. We struggle with this even as followers. It's it's because of something called shame. And Paul alludes to this 
in his other prison letters. In Philippians in chapter, in first chapter, uh, four times he talks about his bonds as a prisoner. In Ephesians and Colossians, he talks about his chains as a prisoner. In his second letter to Timothy, he gives us an idea of why this is so overwhelming to him. It's because chains in the first century were seen as an object of shame. So let's talk about shame just for a moment. Shame is very different from feeling guilty. When you feel guilty about something, it's because of something you have done. You feel guilty over that. It's an act. It's something you have committed so that if you, it makes you feel guilty. And if it's an act, then it's, maybe you could go back and you could rectify that, or, you know, to resolve the act so you no longer feel guilty about what you've done. Guilt is about an act. Shame is about perception. You perceive you are a prisoner because of what you have done. You're a prisoner because of your nature. You're a prisoner because fill in the blank. And then there comes the shame. This is what creates discontent globally among all humans. We all wrestle with shame. And let me tell you where that comes from. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God created the heavens and the earth, the Garden of Eden, and places Adam and Eve within it and tells them to be fruitful and multiply. And at the close of that, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, this is what he says. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. No shame. Because they were in a right relationship with God, there was no sin. They could walk and talk with him, with each other. No shame. But the moment they sin, they know that there's a difference between them and God. Their identity has changed. They see themselves. Yes, there's an act to be guilty over, but it's deeper than that. Their identity is shifted as being unworthy of a holy God. And now they cannot walk and talk with him. This, according to Romans chapter 5, is the plight of humanity. Each one of us is born in this shameful state that we are unworthy of a righteous, holy God and are outside of a relationship with him, which causes us to just want to cover up. And what does Adam and Eve do in, uh, at that time because of that? Well, the scriptures in Genesis chapter 3, verse 10, say they hide themselves from God. And they confess that it was because they were naked. We feel exposed because of the state that we were born within. It's not just the act. It's our condition now before you. And it's the way we are today. All of us are born separated from a God, from a holy God, unworthy to walk and talk with him. And we understand that. We just can't seem to figure out how to fix it. So we try to create our own coverings that will cover us up that, so that God would accept us. And some of us work really hard to, to be good among others so that maybe God will see us in, in, in your goodness and that maybe he'll let you have a relationship with him. Others may try to, to accomplish, you know, whatever, some X, Y, Z, just think of, put in whatever you think. 
you know, just so that they have the applause of others to, that may deafen the sense of shame and won't be able to, to, to look toward God because they're approved by other people. Even immorality. We keep trying to find out what society says is good and what society says is bad just so that you can be seen as moral in front of everybody else. We we keep going down the list, but all of this is this is trying to cover the shame and the struggle that with with discontentment is being frustrated because all these coverings, they just don't work. And so we have we've talked through the personal struggles. Now, with that being said, what is the secret of being content? Well, in short, the secret of being content is submitting to God. And our covering comes from Christ alone. And that in Christ alone, we are accepted and embraced and loved by God. And therefore, we rest in him. But this word submitting to him, this is not a word that we like. And I, I, I recently shared this story with the Abernathys, I don't know if they remember, but... Uh, we had bought a dog, this is a long time ago, about 18 years ago. We had bought an expensive lab puppy. And with that expensive lab puppy, we had decided that we had wanted to have it trained really well. Uh, we, we, we figured we could spend the you know, money, we might as well have it well trained. And so we went to this training, and as a part of that, I would go to there, to that training facility. And, and while I was there, I learned that the secret of keeping the, the dogs content in the yard was to make sure that they knew that the dog dog knew who the, the alpha male was. And so all the dogs, they would find contentment when the other dogs were under the rule of the alpha male. And so when a dog in the yard was would get restless and, and wanted to gain control, he, he wanted to be the alpha. They would see this and they would say, well, well tell the owners. They'd say, basically, we want us to, I promise this didn't hurt the dogs, but they would have us pin the dogs down to the ground. You know, I'd place one hand near the, you know, near the neck and one hand on the body and, and they would just have them hold them down. And so during this time, the dog's struggling and fighting to get up. But over time, I could, I could literally feel the dog releasing its tension. I could feel the dog submitting to me as the alpha. But before that, the dog wanted to be the alpha, to be in control. And I, and once that submission is set, I would let the dog up. The dog is content with me, content with other dogs in the yard, and there, and there'd be contentment there again. By submitting. Friends, the secret of being content is literally submitting to Christ as the ultimate alpha. We get into discontent when we want to control the moment. Instead of submitting that regardless of what we're going through, whether it is much or whether it is little, whether it is joy or pain, whether it is delight or hardship, Christ is in control and we submit to him. In fact, we learn that the secret of contentment is that, the, that God's aim and ours is self-sufficiency. The Greek word content that is here literally means to be self-sufficient. 
Now, in our mindset, we could take that to a prideful place. You know, I'm going to be, if I'm going to be self-sufficient, then that means with my intellect, with my capabilities, and with my resources, I can plan, I can manipulate, I can work, and I can be self-sufficient in this. That's going back to your own tree, Lance's tree, instead of Christ's. The intent of God in this secret of contentment is simply to acknowledge that we are self-sufficient for all circumstances, not because of us, but because of Christ. The best way I can describe this, part of this word, it almost points to to the act that we do as parents. Uh, when, When our kids were very little, we were moving into a phase of helping them uh, you know, where they could go to bed in their own room. And we knew that we needed to establish a routine, a familiar routine for them. So we would get them in their pajamas. Uh, we would read them a book and then place them in their bed, pray over them, love on them, and then walk out. But now you know that there are those nights, just when you're about to fall asleep, that you hear that cry. Mom, Dad, and it's because the child is not comfortable. They want to be assured, and, and so Deanna and I would kind of we would take little maybe a little cry just a little bit, and then we'd say, "All right, well let's go back in there, uh, you know, lay them back down in bed, assure them that they are all right, and and so we would do this, pray over them, walk over the you know walk wouldn't walk out. And so we would do this consistently night after night after night until they come to the awareness, it's okay. They learn. They may not like going to bed at that time, but they realize over time, I'm fine. I'm content. Mom and dad are still here. And they sleep contently, self-sufficiently because they know mom and dad are still there. Because of mom's dad's, mom and dad's history with them. God's aim is to bring you and me, regardless of the circumstances, having much or little, being hard or delightful, to walk in the contentment of Christ's consistency with us and rest in his care. God's role is to purpose even our hardships and our challenges as well as our delights so that we can bask in the beauty of the sufficiency of Christ's consistency in all circumstances. And our role, our role is to be the benefactors of learning even more about Christ, about who he is, what his attributes are, his strengths, but also about ourselves. Our vulnerabilities, our sinful nature, so that we are constantly being worked and transformed into the likeness of Christ. So the secret of being content is submission. A submission that God is in control. We praise God that we are under His hand. Regardless of what I don't understand, what I cannot oversee, or even the pain that I am in or that I wish I am out of. 
He is in control, and I submit to him.